Welcome everybody and happy Father's Day. Uh, it's so good to be here with you and to be able to worship with you wherever you are from my home to yours um, as we celebrate Father's Day together and as we um, just want to welcome everyone. And so if this is your very first time, uh, my name is JP, I'm the senior pastor here at Pomerado Christian Church, um, and it's such an honor to welcome you. We thank you for joining us today. Uh, there's some links on the top of the page if you want to get connected to our church. Um, but for those of you who are part of our church, welcome back. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but it's so great to be able to have uh, David and Ben Johnston leading us in worship as a father and son on this Father's Day weekend. And so we're excited um, to be able to, to talk about dads today. And as you can see uh, with the background, we um, have been in a Colossians series, and we'll conclude that next week. But for this week, we are uh, taking a little bit of a break, much like we did with Mother's Day. And we're going to talk about dads, the lasting legacy of dads, and the importance of dads um, for us and for our relationship with God, and um, what that looks like to be a godly dad as well. And so thank you again for joining. Will you now join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us? Father, we thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you this is a day you've made, uh, that we rejoice and are glad in it. Lord, we thank you uh, that we could call upon you as our Father. Thank you that you are a good, good Father. That is who you are, and that who we are is determined that, by the fact that we are loved by you. And we thank you that we could call upon the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus through which we can have a right relationship with you as our Father. So, Father, we do pray that as we get into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And, Lord, may we learn and experience what you have for us today. We love you, God. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So, as we get ready for... Um, turning to Genesis chapter 3. That's where our sermon's going to be. And our sermon today is called, Dads, We Need You. For Mother's Day, we said, Moms, we see you. And today, it's Dads, We Need You, recognizing the importance um, of godly dads in our lives. Now, for all of us, you know, I think one of the things we learn is that, you know, even as babies, like when we're kids, we know that we have needs that, that are important to us. They're selfish needs. And so it's to eat and to, to drink um, water and milk. It's to be able to be safe. It's to be able to um, have belonging. It's to be able to have a roof over our head. That we have these needs that, and so often our world encourages us to stay focused on our own needs rather than trying to look to the needs of others. That's one of the things that we've talked about recently is the humility of Christ was this idea of not just thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less, as C.S. Lewis says. And so this idea that before we have kids, before I had a child, before we had Shailen, you know, it was really easy to kind of still think about things through my perspective. Yes, um, I want to love my wife and to be able to um, love her well and wash her with the water of the word and make her blameless and all the things we talked about last week through Colossians 3. But even still, it wasn't until I knew that we were going to have a, welcome a baby into the world that all of a sudden my desires for myself and my own um, self-preservation, all of that became secondary to the upcoming life of our child. 
And so I remember the first day we found out that we were pregnant with Shaylin, we went to the, the doctor just to you know double check. And so I remember driving there and I felt like I was just driving extra safe and you know turning left and I had to go into you know a lane where you're waiting to turn left and like I waited until more cars passed just to, to make sure I wanted to drive more safely, wanted to be more aware. We had precious cargo and wanted to make sure that everyone was safe. And so just remembering the process of learning what it means to really die to self and die to our own needs. And so as um, we're waiting for Shaylin to come, obviously moms, Steph included of course, went through um, changes physically and um, just emotional changes and um, just spiritual as well as pre in preparation for welcoming a child into the world. Um, but as a dad, it's like, what's your process in that? Or what's your role in that? And I was speaking with a friend from my previous church who uh, recently shared the good news that he and his wife were expecting. And he had written a letter and, and shared with me this idea of there are times in which it can be such awe that there's this little baby inside of his wife's belly. And it's so beautiful and delicate to think about this, this life that is so um, precious. And yet he said it also filled him with, with dread and nervousness. There's nothing he can do right now to really help this child yet. Of course, he can love his wife and he can do those things, but he just, you know, there's this feeling as dads when, when moms are going through um, birth and the whole process of pregnancy, they're just going through so many changes. As dads, how do we, what does our changes look like? What do our changes look like? And I remember for me, one of the things I encouraged him with and one of the things the Lord really showed me during that time was this idea that I needed to die to myself. I needed to die to my own self-focus and really wanting to say, what's it like to put others first? Yes, my wife, but also an upcoming child who would be fully reliant on us, that somehow God in his infinite wisdom would entrust these, this special girl and, this, and now both of our girls into our care. Steph is the mom and me as a dad. And so just recognizing the enormity of that and the humility that comes from that. And so that whole dynamic though, this idea of kind of how the world teaches us to kind of think about ourselves first um, and how we kind of can live within our own uh, earthly desires and then contrasting that with how uh, God created us and how we've been really created to put others first. We talked recently again about how Jesus um, in his humility thought less, not of himself, but thought of less of, sorry, <laughs> Don't, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so as we talk about that, it's this idea of how do we make sure that as dads, we are living a life that is in contrast to Adam in Genesis 3 and is following after the example of Christ and the way that he lived and how the way he served. And so um, Herman Ritterboss is a, a theologian and he kind of talked about this. Adam, this, this idea of living for self and, and the different things we're going to look at. If you have your notes, you're going to see, again, we did columns again. We won't always do columns and, or tables of contrast, but we will again today. Um, and so we look at one side and we're going to look at the other side. But he talks about Adam and Christ. And he says, Adam and Christ stand against each other as two great figures at the entrance of two worlds, two creations, the old and the new. And in their actions and fates lie the decisions for all who belong to them, because all men are comprehended in them. What does that mean? It means that all of us will find ourselves either living after Adam, the first man, Adam, who at the beginning of creation had everything, relationship with God and work to do and a wife to love and everything he could have wanted. And yet 
he didn't obey. And then contrast that to what does it look like for us to follow in the example of Christ, who had everything, and yet he selflessly came down to earth and lived a perfect life and died a horrible death and was raised to new life so that we could call upon God as our father. And so how do we contrast the two? Because we're either, as our main point's going to say, all of us will either live in the shadow of Adam or in the light of Christ. And then dads, we need you to choose the latter. When it comes to living a life under the shadow of Adam or the light of Christ, dads, we need you to choose the latter. Choose living under the light of Christ. And in order to describe that a little bit more, we're going to take some uh, time to look at the comparing and contrasting of those two columns. And so on the, the column on your left-hand side is going to talk about the shadow of Adam. The shadow of Adam. And some of this material, um, most of this material is coming from Robert Lewis, uh, who talked about um, from Men's Fraternity. Or if you want to find out more, um, on Right Now Media, there's a study called The 33, and it's the numbers 33. Um, and it's a study for men, but it talks about uh, what biblical, authentic manhood looks like. And those, those specific studies will be more on, on the other column when we get to that. But for this column, uh, we're going to talk about the shadow of Adam, but I wanted to give you a place where you can know where to learn more about some of this content. So with that said, the shadow of Adam, that men living under the shadow of Adam fall into passivity. That's our first note. And so we're going to start off in Genesis 3, and we're going we're to read a, a few verses here. Um, I'm going to read through verse 12. But then we're going to kind of jump back and forth a little bit in order to um, pull out some of these points. And so in Genesis chapter 3, starts like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. We'll stop there for now. But the first thing that we see here um, is this idea that men living under the shadow of Adam, who are following the example of Adam, fall into passivity. And we see this specifically because in, in verse 6, and I highlighted um, part of the bottom there, the question here is, you know, what happened to, to Adam? That if the serpent is talking to Eve and is tempting her, you might be thinking, well, then maybe Adam was somewhere else. Maybe he was in another part of the garden doing some work um, and really... Um, busy while you know the serpent was trying to attack Eve and we often incorrectly blame Eve or blame women for sin and the truth of the matter is is that when we live under the shadow of Adam it is so easy to fall into passivity how do we know that Adam was passive is because as we read verse 6 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, it wasn't that Adam was gone. It wasn't that Adam was off somewhere working. It wasn't that the serpent was only targeting Eve. It's that the serpent, when he was tempting them, Adam was passive. He just let it happen. And he was with her. He was standing nearby. That He was close enough that she could hand him a bite of the forbidden fruit. And yet, when the time came, he didn't step up. He just passively let the serpent go after his wife. And we see this often, how men today can become so passive. And, I, and to be clear, I don't mean someone who's got a, a quieter personality because there are some men, some women too, but some people who are quiet, but when they speak, there's great gravitas with it, right? So I'm not saying someone who's passive is just someone who's quiet or shy. What I'm saying is being passive is someone who doesn't take action when action needs to be taken. That the action Adam should have taken was to tell the serpent to leave his wife alone. The action he should have taken was to knock the apple out of Eve's hand before she ever had a chance to bite it. But he was passive. Men, dads, we need you not to be passive. We're going to dive into that in a few moments, but just remember, men who live under the shadow of Adam fall into passivity much as the way that Adam did. The second part here is that men living under the shadow of Adam reject responsibility. Reject responsibility. How, where do we see this? We actually see this in, in verse, um, let's see, let's start in verse 11. So this is after Adam admits that um, he heard him in the garden. He heard God in the garden. He was naked. He was afraid. And so verse 11, this is where God comes in. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And look at Adam's response here as he rejects responsibility. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. You catch that? He didn't say, you're right, God. I, I messed up. He did what so many of us do when we put the blame on others around us. We don't accept responsibility for our actions. We reject responsibility and we do what so often is the blame game where we say it's our boss's fault that we're not doing well at work, that it's our kid's fault that we're not um, seen as successful. It's our wife's fault for this. It's our friend's fault for not reaching out. And we put the blame on everyone else around us except for the person in the mirror. And we start assigning blame to one another and rejecting responsibility for our own actions. So yes, there may be times where our bosses are difficult, but we have the responsibility to still work as if for the Lord and not man, to be able to um, lead up, and by that I mean lead in such a way towards people who may be higher up in a positional ranking at church, or excuse me, at, well, church too, I guess, but specifically at, at your job, and thinking about how do I lead well to people who are in authority so that they're set up for success and so that we can experience success as a team. See, we cannot blame other people, but yet that's so often what we do. We come home at the end of a long day and we say, it's this person's fault this happened. It's this person's fault that happened. And we create this experience in which we are void of responsibility. In fact, we reject that responsibility for our actions. Men who live under the shadow of Adam continue that throughout their lives, always placing the blame on others rather than accepting the responsibility of our own. 
Secondly, we see this idea that men, or excuse me, thirdly, men living under the shadow of Adam lead weakly, if at all. They lead weakly, if at all. In this story here, we see how we kind of alluded to it earlier, but once, like, like the first question that's, that Satan, uh, the serpent asked in verse one, is did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice that's not what God said. That the enemy so often likes to distort and to twist things that God actually says and makes it seem accusatory. That God from the beginning said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. So what does the serpent say in order to question God, in order to create doubt, in order to create distortion into what God said and he tries to confuse it. He's the author of confusion, by the way. What does he say? He said, did he really say you can't eat out of any tree in this garden? And so rightfully and truthfully, Eve says, no, we may eat from the trees of the garden, just not the specific one. And then Satan and uh, the serpent starts to talk to him and, you know, say that, um, well, you're not going to die. That's not what's going to happen. Your eyes are going to be open. And it's at this moment when the serpent says, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here is the pivotal moment. Here's the moment where Adam, if he were to lead well and lead courageously in this moment, he would say, serpent, shut your mouth and get out of here. That we know that we can trust God. He's given us everything. He's given us paradise. And so we're not going to question what he's holding back from us. Instead, we're going to trust him wholeheartedly. And in that process, if he would have led well in that time, he would have been able to tell the serpent to get away, would have kicked him, would have stomped on him. I don't know. He would have done something in order to protect his wife from making the decision she made. But he didn't lead. And so when that time came, she stepped up to, to take the fruit and he just watched her. Again, he could have knocked the apple out of her hand. He could have said, remember what God said, don't do this. But he slayed back. He was passive and then he, he didn't lead. And we've talked before about how, you know, in Ephesians 5 and then in Colossians 3 last week, we talked about how the husband is the, is the head of the wife, head of the household. Um, just as Christ is the head of the church. So again, as the husband being the head of the wife doesn't mean he lords it over her. It means that he lovingly serves and leads her in such a way that when he loves her in, in the way of washing with the water of the word and praying for her and serving her and putting her needs above his own, then as he does that, the wife is going to be more willing to come alongside and, and follow and yield and to submit to him. Again, submit last week, we talked about is following the, the, the order that was created. And so when we look at this, Adam didn't lead well. For many of us, we look at our homes and people are not, men are not leading well. Dads, we need you to reject passivity. We need you men to be able to see the responsibilities you have. We need you men and dads to lead well, not to just let the household, people in the household make difficult uh, choices that are going to um, create ramifications. So you see um, your wife, um, you know, if you see your, not your wife, excuse me, if you see your kids doing something that you know they shouldn't be doing, then you step into that and you lead them even when they don't want to go, they don't want to listen. We need dads to be able to lead well, not weakly, or not if people that lead and not just leading, um, not at all. 
So because he didn't lead, Eve fell into that temptation, and Adam was too passive to stop her. And then lastly, men living under the shadow of Adam invest in what's temporary. Invest in what's temporary. Remember, as we saw this, that the garden was beautiful. It was, it, there was a lot of work to be done, but they were called to be fruitful and to multiply and to work the land and to be able to do all this. And so the problem was is that he made a decision by not acting. He made a decision to invest in what sounded good right now. Especially, I mean, imagine now when we're in an on-demand culture where there, we no longer have to like watch TV at a certain time to watch a certain show on a certain channel. It's, you can watch things whenever you want because it's on-demand. You can order food on your phone at any time and it's on-demand. It can be delivered to you or you can go uh, take it out and pick it up. That everything is at our fingertips. And so when everything's at your fingertips, it's so easy to lose grasp and grip on what's most important. That they, the leading, excuse me, um, investing in what's temporary. How, does, how do we know that he did it? Is that again, in that same verse, verse six earlier, talked about how the husband who was with her and he ate it, he took a temporary bite, a bite out of a fruit of a temporary satisfaction. Oh, this fruit is pleasing to the eye and it's good for food, desirable for gaining wisdom. It's something that, oh, in this moment, I'm gonna forsake all the things that God has said, all the things I've learned, all the ways I've been taught, and I'm gonna choose right now something temporary, something that will feel good in the moment, but can have these ramifications and consequences that can last for generations. That he invests in what was temporary, he chose the temporary rather than eternal life with God in the cool of the day, God walking and being in relationship with him in a way that we cannot understand because what was temporary, a bite of a fruit, was more appealing than living out the fruit of the spirit and living in that close relationship with God. And so it paints a pretty bleak picture when we live under the shadow of Adam, when we want our selfishness or our desires or what's now, and we choose that above what's right and what's good and what's pure and what's noble, and that we don't think about those things. We think about the temporary, the, the mildly satisfacting, satisfactory, and the um, things that make us feel good just in this moment. But then how do we contrast that? That's the shadow of Adam. Let's take a few moments to be able to look at the light of Christ. If we're living under the light of Christ, dads, what does that mean for us? Men, what does that mean for us? All of us, what does that mean? But specifically on Father's Day, I want to look at what Robert Lewis, as I mentioned earlier, how he defines um, authentic manhood and the four different aspects that he sees that as. The first one is that men living in the light of Christ reject passivity. That if there's someone who is not good and who's inflicting harm on your family. Maybe it's a group of friends that you know your kids shouldn't hang out with and you're afraid of rocking the boat, but instead of just passively standing back and watching that change in your child's life, we, we step up and we take the choice to say, we're not gonna idly watch and just stand with, um, as Adam stood with Eve and watched her do that. We're not just gonna idly stand by and watch our family make poor choices or our family choose things that will hurt them, we step up and we step in and we step out so that we can see how God wants to work. And so we re reject passivity. And we dads, we need you to be able to do this. 
Paul Rayburn, who wrote a book uh, many years ago I read called Do Fathers Matter? And it was like a study that looked both at um, psychology and stories, um, but then also looking at different tests with different types of animals and the impact fathers have. And so it's called Do Fathers Matter? I would encourage you to listen to it or read it. What he says in that is that our failure to acknowledge father's importance is now reflected in the shape of the American family. Fathers are disappearing. Fewer American fathers are participating in the lives of their children now than at any time since the United States began keeping records. And many of us who are listening now, we know this to be true. Whether it's because our dad wasn't available, he wasn't around, he left before we met him, or he left um, when we were young. Maybe someone that he was around but never really engaged, and so you still saw your dad around, but he felt like he wasn't really present to interact with. Maybe for some of you, it's just this idea that there was abuse or, or brokenness and deep, deep hurt that I am by no means downplaying. But all of us need to wrestle with this idea of saying that fathers in general, the, the role of a godly, loving father who serves his family, who loves his wife well so that the kids know, for the, the sons know how to be a good husband and the daughters know what to look for in a good godly husband. That fathers are, are missing and they may be present but they're not fully engaged because they're passive. But dads, we need you to reject passivity. We need you to reject it and to be involved, be engage with your family, be men who look to, your kids will look to you and say, my dad was there. My dad was there when I needed to talk to him. He was there when I went to dance recitals or to sporting events or when I was in drama to play. He was there for me. He wasn't passive and let the, my childhood pass by, but instead he was active and he impacted the way that I lived. Dads, we need you to reject passivity. Number two, Men living in the light of Christ accept responsibility. Not like Adam who said, the woman you, God, blames God first. He says, the woman you put here, she's the one who did it. I, I just ate. It wasn't my fault. See, that was rejecting responsibility. We need men, and all of us, but specifically for Father's Day, men, we need you to reject, excuse me, accept responsibility. When something's wrong in your family, when, when you... Um, I remember when I was uh, when I was younger, my dad and I were talking, and I don't even know what happened, um, but he had done something, and he just said, "No, I'm sorry about that." And I was like, "Oh, it's okay, it's no big deal." He's like, "No, like I want you to know, like I really, I'm sorry about that." I'm again, you know, 25, 30 years later, like I remember that. Why? Because he wasn't glossing over something that had happened. It was a small thing. It wasn't a big thing, but it still impacted I me. Mean, it wasn't a big thing, but it had a big impact because he owned whatever it was. And he said, no, no, you need to hear me. I'm sorry for that. And he said, I forgive you. And, and, that, and that's a beautiful moment. And it means a lot to me. It still does. So now when I make a mistake, if I um, say something to the girls and I didn't fully hear them or I misunderstood or, you know, I'm just not as kind and loving as I want to be sometimes. And if I were to say that and I apologize, it's important. It's like, no, it's, it's not okay that I did something or said something that hurt you. I'm sorry. I accept that I hurt you and I apologize. And that's one way. Another way for us is to accept the responsibility for being a godly example, to learn what it looks like to 
say, okay, when, as a dad, reading my Bible so that, not so I'm showing it off, but so the kids see that this is important, I need to accept the responsibility of being the spiritual head of this household. I need to accept the responsibility of loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I need to accept the responsibility of making sure that I'm not embittering my children or discouraging our children. So dads, we need you to accept responsibility, not to play the blame game and blame, it's my kid's fault that you know, we have a hard family. No, 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 dads, we need you to lead in this. We need you to accept responsibility and to lead the way, which brings us to our third one, that men living in the light of Christ, they lead courageously. They step out in courage. They don't lead weakly. They don't stand behind the scenes. If the enemy is trying to, or if someone is an enemy trying to hurt someone in their family, they step up and they lead and they say, we're going this way or we're gonna reject this certain thing. We're gonna do something differently. We're gonna, um, you're not gonna, whatever it may be. But leading courageously rather than stepping back, rather than leading weakly or not leading at all, man, we need you to lead courageously. An author um, wrote a blog um, a few years ago, and he talks about this, that perhaps the best way for fathers to lead their homes spiritually is to embrace the work of the home rather than build an identity outside of it. Dads, I know that for some of you, that might have felt a little bit like a, like a gut check. Are you, am I, are, are we men who go and we want to conquer the world when we're outside? We want, to, we want to do the best that we can in business. We want to be at the top of our fields. We want to receive accolades and attaboys. And we want to have all the best stuff. And we want to do all these things. And we're building these bigger barns of achievements according to the outside world. And yet, to our kids, does it seem like we don't even care? Does it seem like we're not involved or engaged? Because daddy's too busy, daddy's too tired, daddy's had a long day at work, and yes, you may be too busy, and you may be tired, and you may have a lot of work, but do you want, do we want our kids to remember us as men, as dads who were too busy for them? That put the work outside of the home and prioritize that over our relationships within the home? I think we'd all say no, but do our actions say yes? So what does it look like for you, for me, to take a more active role inside the home, to lean into that and to lead through the home and to encourage, let's do a family devotional together. Let's do a family study. Let's pray together a certain time. Let's do one of the things that we've done, um, not as consistently as I like, but you know, we do a gratitude journal and says, let's, let's take a moment to look and to think about our week and to thank God for what he's done and to just write it down and to keep track of those things. That just finding ways to lead courageously in your homes and in your families. Dads, we need you to follow after the men of, who live under the light of Adam, or excuse me, the light of Christ, and who lead courageously. And then lastly, men living in the light of Christ invest eternally. That under the shadow of Adam, they, they invested in what was temporary, a bite of a fruit that ended up changing the course of their family and the course of human history. But choosing to invest eternally, so you think about this, is 
you know, when I, uh, when I follow sports and the girls are like, we like, we like the Niners, right? We like the San Francisco Giants, right? We like the, the Warriors, right? And like, yes, those are our favorite teams and that's who we like. And so the girls, you know, make little signs this past year that were um, like, you know, go for the Niners or whatever it was. And it, just, it was so fun, right? And it's great to be able to enjoy that. By no means am I taking away that there are so many great um, great hobbies or, or interests or things that can bind families together. So I'm not dismissing any of that. But the question becomes, am I pointing them to love the Niners or the Giants or the Warriors more than I'm pointing them to love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I hope not. I pray not. But are we dads? Are we pointing to things that are temporary? Are we pointing to things that seem important now? Like, hey, son, I want you to get into the best college. Daughter, I want you to get the highest paying job. I want you to work up the, higher, the um, corporate ladder or I want you to have the biggest house. Are we pointing them to things that are temporary rather than that which is eternal? And what is eternal is the fact that we have a good, good father. That's who he is and that we are loved by him. Are we as dads making choices and intentionally showing our kids the love the father has for them. How deep the love the father has lavished upon us that we might be called children of God and that is what we are. Are we pointing them to the father who loves them by being a father who loves them? Or are we just pointing them to things that are important to us now but have no weight in eternity? Are we investing eternally into our kids, into our wife, into our families? And so today's Father's Day, as you know. So dads, what legacy are you leaving behind? What, what, what life are you leading and what kind of legacy are you leaving? Are you someone who's gonna, who is passive and, and falls into passivity? Are you someone who rejects responsibility? Are you someone who leads weakly, if at all, or are you some, and are you someone who, um, are you someone who leads weekly, if at all, or are you someone who invests in what's temporary? Because if that's you, one, it's important for us to accept that, and it's even more important for us to change that. That dads, when you fully follow Christ, not living under the shadow of Adam and living under. Um, that selfishness or that desire to kind of build a home, a name outside of the home and not inside. When you live like that, it impacts your kids and it impacts your kids' kids. And, and it shows them what's more important. Because if they see you working more or caring more about what's outside the home than what's inside the home, well then, one, they'll wonder, does, does dad love me? Am I important to him? Two, they'll start to think that what's outside the home is more important, so it gets passed on to generations. And three, dads, it is a blessing for us, an honor for us to be called Father, to take upon that name after our Heavenly Father. Let us wear that name well. Because see, the flip side is, or rather, there's a story of uh, Alexander the Great, and he was... Um, as the story goes, is that he was walking amongst some of his soldiers uh, you know, in ancient history, and he found a soldier sleeping on the job. And so 
he calls a soldier and he says, soldier. And of course, the soldier who is supposed to be keeping watch wakes up and sees the general, sees Alexander the Great looking down at him as he sleeps. Alexander the Great looks at the soldier and says, soldier, what's your name? He says, Alexander. The soldier's name was Alexander. So Alexander the Great looks at him and says, live in such a way to honor that name. Be done. Change how you are to live in such a way to honor that name. Dads, we have the honor of being called dads, fathers. We ought to live in such a way that honors that name. <clears throat> May we become men who reject passivity. May we become men who accept responsibility. May we become men who lead courageously and may we become men who invest eternally. Because dads, we need you. Every single year it seems like we need dads more. So may we step up into those roles. And so what I'm gonna encourage now is, or not encourage, uh, we actually have a video that um, emphasizes from the voices of kids how much they need dads and the role that dads have in impacting their lives, their faith, and the legacy that gets left behind. Because when we love our kids well and point them to God, then they too will love God and be able to love their kids well when they grow up because they had an example of a dad who lived in the light of Christ. Rejected, uh, rejected passivity, accepted responsibility, led courageously, and invested eternally. Will you watch this video with me as we think about this and as we watch this and get ready for Father's Day or continue to celebrate Father's Day? Uh, let's watch this video together. Dad, Dad, hey Dad. I want to be rich and good looking. I want to be rich and good looking. I'll need you to challenge me. I'll need you to challenge me to be rich in good works. To be rich in good works. I'll be focused on building my career at all costs. Only you to show me how to put my family ahead of work. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I'll need you to teach me to honor God. I'll need you to teach me to honor God with my time and resources. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth. In love. In love. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll want to treat girls how the world tells me to. I'll need you to show me how to honor them with all my actions. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you, Dad. I'll need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me to Christ when no one else will. All right, dads. It's up to us. And as we again think about the fact that we are needed by our kids and by our wife, let's take upon that mantle to live under or in the light of Christ and not under the shadow of Adam. Let's push that away because again, the old is gone, the new has come, we are new creations. And so as we take a moment now to take communion in memory of the fact that Jesus is the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name, the only one upon which 
we can call his name and be saved. And that God is our Father who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That we could be like Jesus who rejected passivity because he didn't stay in heaven forever. He, he accepted the responsibility to come, on, uh, come to earth and to live a perfect life, die a horrible death, and be raised to new life. In fact, he prayed that God would take this cup from me, but your will be done. He accepted responsibility for what God had called him to. He led courageously. That he led and said, follow me. And he showed the disciples how to live. And he shows us how to live through his word. And he invested, obviously, in eternal. Because without him, we wouldn't have eternal life. In fact, in John 17, 3, he says that eternal life is this. It's knowing the Son and the Father who sent him. And so Jesus embodied this. And we remember his sacrifice for us by taking of communion. And so I encourage you to take the bread that it reminds us of his body that was broken. Take the cup that reminds us of his blood that was poured out. And please feel free to partake in the communion as you feel led. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again that we could call upon you as Father. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to live not under the shadow of Adam, but in the light of Christ. Help us to choose, especially men and dads, right now to choose from this day forward that they would reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and invest eternally into the, the lives of wife and kids so that the home would be a place in which you are glorified. Father, we thank you that we have the honor of being called Father. May we live in such a way that honors that name. I pray right now for those who don't have a relationship with their Father, that you would comfort them and heal them, that you would let them to know that you are Father far greater than any of us can ever imagine that we may have good fathers here on earth, but you are our good, good father in heaven. I pray for those who have a broken relationship with their father. I pray that you'd bring healing and that there would be a way where there was no way so that relationship could be restored. I pray for those who have been hurt by their fathers or never met their fathers or any of these other wounds that come with Father's Day, God, may again you meet all of us where we are. And God, may we lean into you as Father, as our Abba Father. And so we thank you for that. I pray that you would be with the moms who don't have someone to walk through, don't have a husband or the dad's not in the picture of their kids, that you would encourage and comfort them and strengthen them today as well. And God, ultimately, we love you and we thank you for being our Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us today. 
we hope that you had a very, very happy Father's Day and that the rest of your day is a blessing. Thank you again. We are so thankful. If you need anything, if you want to ask for prayer, click on the live prayer button uh, here. Reach out to us. You are prayed for, cared for, and loved. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you. May he grant you his peace this day and every day. God bless you all. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday morning.